Yeah, we appreciate that. Thanks, kids, for you know switching it up and, and doing the cadre presentations at a different time than you're used to, too. And good job. So, <clears throat> yeah, this month we're continuing that discussion on calling. An important topic for each one of us, because we all have them. Uh, yeah, to go back over some of what we talked about, right? So we have primary and secondary callings as two basic categories. The primary calling, of course, is three main things from God for each one of us. A presentation of the gospel that we experience from from someone, an invitation to, because of that, repent and believe in Jesus Christ, and a promise of forgiveness and salvation as a result of that. Secondary calling, then, is the way we're supposed to respond to God's primary call, what we do with that. Being part of a local uh, church body, for example, being part of your family, all in a way that is following God in accordance to that primary calling. Being a part of the community and having uh, a vocation that is God-based in how you're serving through that. Um, doesn't mean that you can't be any vocation there is out there, pretty much, or almost anyway, um, but having an orientation of that as your calling. So, for purposes of being, you know, as relevant as possible versus just all-encompassing and broad, since callings can be all kinds of stuff like, you know, family and just being generally, like, going to a church and things like that. Like, you're called to be a part of a specific local body, right? So we're not going to talk about those things. We're going to be talking about more, like, what are those primary pursuits in your life? So vocation, once again, is going to be those main pursuits and investments that you've chosen to make with your time, whether that's a job where you happen to earn money in that, um, or a job for no money, aka a volunteer position, right, which lots of us hold either in full or in part, or evening work or side gigs, you know, maybe you choose to make music, maybe you help out the elderly as they're getting old, maybe you have, you know, one of your grandparents or whatever that you um, dedicate a whole bunch of time to caring for, maybe it's somebody else that you're not directly related to, so on and so forth. Maybe it's educating kids or other people. Maybe um, it's something even in the secular world or just in the church body as an um, organization. Or ideally even a hybrid or an integration of the two things, secular and church worlds, right? Fusing and integrating your world as one thing as much as possible, like bringing people in from outside and introducing them to the church family and serving in some function of that. But regardless, like we talked about, a calling or a vocation is hard work, right? It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult and challenging and, and pushing you to do those uncomfortable things. It's going to be bold. It's going to follow after the work of Christ, like we talked about last week, following him in seeking and saving the lost. So, how do we identify a specific calling that God has for us, for each one of you? There is no magical way, right? There is no special formula, scientific formula, there's no secret knowledge that you can gain where it will all of a sudden be plain to you, there's no special... Um, chart, like flow chart that you can follow, or a chant or a drug that's going to like open you up to revealing this information to you. No, not even a Facebook quiz. All powerful Facebook quiz can reveal to you this truth. But we can be sure that we all have callings and that those things are discernible, that those things are able to be discovered and found out in a sure way. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Very few people in the Bible are equipped or qualified when they're called to serve, right? 
but they all needed <clears throat> but they all needed to be willing to do that. That's all they needed to be was willing for that. They didn't need to have all the skill set and whatever. They understood that God called them that he designed that before that moment that that was something that they are prepared for with God's help in who they are in their essence and that that's not an accident. Those people understood those things in a large amount of cases and we're no different than that. We need to understand that God planned that long ago for us and that even though we may not feel equipped to do that, understanding that we are capable with God's help to fulfill that calling. So we can discover our callings through an intimate and maturing relationship with our caller, capital C caller, by involving the body of believers as part of that process in discovering God's design and plan for us and by rooting out the false callings or the dead ends of those things. So one of the things that's really important in that is communication with God. Each of us needs a personal communication with God in that. And we talk about this all the time, you know, the importance of staying in the Word, staying in Scripture all the time. It can't be understated. Like, it's our primary form of being involved intimately with our God. It is integral in renewing our mind and our heart in that. A renewed mind and heart is absolutely essential as you're searching for your calling. Romans chapter 12 says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Um, yeah, we're supposed to be transformed, to have a new heart and mind about those things as we're looking into that. And we can't figure out our calling based on where we are at as people without God, without a mind and heart that's being renewed on a daily basis. How can we be on the same page with God about what he wants to do if we're not um, on that wavelength and searching, searching for that on a daily basis. And so we're warned here by Paul that <clears throat> on the opposite end of those things, we need to be wary and skeptical about the behavior and the culture of the world. I changed that word because I think that is maybe more relevant in the same concept. Instead of behavior and customs of the world, the behavior and culture of the world, right? Because we have all these things that we're taught and they teach our mind and heart to function in a certain way. But those things, we have to set those aside and take the culture of God, not of the world, <clears throat> when we're searching for who God wants us to be and what he calls us to do in all these different areas. Instead of being of the behavior and culture of the world, wholeheartedly seeking God's prescription for culture and behavior. I use the word prescription because... It's kind of like a medical term, right? It's for the sick. You get sick, you go to the doctor, you get a prescription. Whether that's, you know, take these herbal things or take these antibiotics or exercise regularly and so on and so forth. It's for the sick. Through, through Christ, our bodies are set up to be healed and operate as they are originally designed. You know, like, but the prescription for that um, is something that we need to do in order for our bodies to be healed in that. It's just like our bodies. There's not a thing that medical science can do to directly heal our bodies. It's just setting ourselves up to be healed in the natural way that we're designed to be healed. And a renewed heart and mind is the same type of deal. God prescribes a certain behavior and culture for us to um, immerse ourselves in so that our bodies can be set up to be healed and understand who we are supposed to be in our callings. To do as our bodies and our minds and our hearts were called to do long ago. One of the things that is uh, a blockage in that is self-interest. We have to, when, we're, when people think about their calling or their purpose or whatever, self-interest, self-satisfaction and all these things are a 
a major qualifier in that. So we have to separate self-interest from spiritual drive. A renewed mind and heart is discerning of what is your <clears throat> selfish self-interest from the sinful world that we're raised up in versus your spiritual drive that's been purified of those things that seeks God's will. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, it says this, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what's true and honorable and right and pure, lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. These are final thoughts of, the, of that whole spiel from Paul there, and they're applicable as overall advice for a godly life. A renewed mind thinks about righteous things, not selfish hopes and plans, but instead things that are right and pure and lovely and admirable, those things that God values. And then the God of peace will be with you. Then you're in a better place to discern your calling from God's perspective, right? Those things that he's looking at, not from a deficit, but just what is needed, what is good for that person, what is good for you and your relationship with people, you and your relationship with God even. We are to follow God-made instincts versus our own urges. It's another um, dichotomy of terminology, right? Self-interest versus spiritual drive and God-made instincts versus man-made urges. What is it that spiritually drives you, you know? Once you are working on this renewed mind and fighting to be of God's behavior and God's culture and rid yourself of those things that are selfish and about taking care of number one and all those things, what is it that spiritually drives you? Like, for example, ask yourself the question, what is the one thing that you wish that you could tell people to impart onto people? You know, what is it that you find profound that other people don't know? Um, and how do you do that? Putting away, putting aside all obstacles and fears and social anxieties and all of those things. In an ideal world, What's the one thing that you would tell people? Or what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail, you know? Thinking about thing, those things that are righteous and pure and good and admirable and lovely. What is it that you would do if you knew that you couldn't fail? If, you know, I can't think of a movie, but there's movies like that, you know, like Yes Man or whatever, where he can't say anything but yes by some supernatural, like, power or whatever, if you got enabled with some gift where you could not fail, um, there's sort of been people in scripture even that have been chosen and blessed in that way, where everything they did was uh, successful, like Joseph is one of those people um, in Egypt, like everything he did, God was with him, and he rose to the top ranks of Egypt because he was part of God's plan. You know, if you were one of those people, what is it that you would do if you couldn't fail? as you're searching for those things that are your calling, your God-given desire to do what's pure and good and all those things. Um, yeah, and then another thing that's sort of different, <clears throat> asking yourself, like, what do you hate? Not human anger, because that doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires, but what is it that disturbs you? You know, what is something that is really bothersome to you? Or what do you love? You know, not from selfish preference, but what is that that you find profound and encouraging as a person on a spiritually driven level? You know, asking yourself those things in terms of looking for what it is that you may be called to as you're searching for those things. And just as a side caveat, like lots of us have things that we're doing right now that we're legitimately called to, but your calling um, is A, not singular, and B, can definitely change or be added to, and so on and so forth. And so these things are good 
thing to put into our life because, honestly, God switches it up probably more often than we are all comfortable with, you know? And so it's good to keep a bead on what's going on here um, with you even. All those things are something that you might consider to be part of who you were made to be. You know, once you separate these things that are um, selfish drive versus spiritual drive and all those things. So that's the nature side of things. But nature and nurture in basically everything play a role. Both sides of things have an effect. So in nature, we're driven as people, part of who we are to value certain things and want other people to know that and so on and so forth. Um, be able to share that about our relationship with God, about maybe what's good for them as a person, so on and so forth. But what about nurture or lack of, you know? What significant events, for example, have happened in your life as you're looking and searching for your calling, what you may be called to do before God? What has shaped you? What has set you apart as special and different than other people? Is it, you know, some sort of abuse or on the positive side of things? Is it an awesome experience with sports, you know, or something like that in your, in your past? Is it absent parents? Is it really great parents? Is it good education? Is it, um, you know, something else that has really given you an edge that you were like, man, somebody really did right by me in this. I need to pass this on. Is it uh, maybe an experience with death or some sort of life-giving experience, whether that's birth or, you know, maybe a, a profound experience and perception with people getting baptized or anything like that? What is it that has really shaped you and touched you in that way in your past, whether that's positive or negative? Um, God redeems and renews everything, Right? There's nothing that's outside of his sovereignty, his control. Even things that are generally not done for God's, God's glory, he can redeem and will redeem if you so choose to follow him. Um, and those things are the bad things that have happened. They can even be good things that need redeeming, right? Like, many of us have grown up um, not in the church, or maybe in the church, but a church that had flaws, because, you know, what church doesn't? And, you know, you may have had a good experience with, let's see, say, education. Maybe you had a really great secular teacher or something like that. But even that, though it had a positive influence on your life, needs redeeming, because it doesn't, it wasn't done for God, and it wasn't used for God in that way. But you can take those things that have been imparted onto you, and then make those things right, as part of your calling, perhaps you know, and take those things and impart them onto the next person that is a part of your body or that you're meeting or whatever, um, but actually have them focused in the right place for once, you know, not just for the benefit of that person so that they can have a good career or education or whatever, but that they can have a holistic, healthy life in Christ. Yeah, these powerful events should have an influence on your ministry. They weren't there for an accident. There aren't things that happen in your life that God didn't allow to happen. He may not have caused those things to happen, but he allowed those things to happen, and they are within his control. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says this, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory of he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So not only have we experienced things that are bad and sinful and broken and participated and been sinful and broken, but the world around us is sinful and broken. We live in it every day. And so we do have all sorts of trauma 
But in those things, there is hope. In verse 23, it continues, And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. We believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. The Holy Spirit is who gives us this future taste of our full glory in Christ. He brings us out of our old and broken lives. Okay? That's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does for us through the process of sanctification, working on us. Paul continues here. We too wait, for the e- wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father knows, knows all hearts, um, and he knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we will know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. This is a really um, intense and valuable passage. You know, While we wait for our full rights as God's adopted children, the Holy Spirit helps us in our struggle in that and works to redeem us in those things, in our weak areas, where we've been damaged, redeeming our traumas and even our positive experiences and bringing those things back into line with who Christ has called us to be. When we don't know our callings, the Holy Spirit that God has given us um, as a helper and a counselor, he works us to bring us in line with that. Not randomly, but with a purpose. Those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. In verse 29, it continues, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. We are spiritually redeemed, right? Christ died. His work is a complete work. And it redeems us in that way. And then we are engaged in this. Well, through that process, we're regenerated as people. We are spiritually ready to go on that process and overcome sin and all of those things. But we still have these physical things that have happened to us over the course of our lives. And we live in a broken world and so on and so forth. But the Holy Spirit is giving us a foretaste of that glory and bringing us out of those things. We won't complete that process until we're dead, but we do make progress, and we're called to make progress, and it is required that we make progress. So, with help from God, who gives us purposes for the things that we've been through, we can do things like using those traumas for what we are intended to do. You know, God using those things for the good of all believers. Counseling people, for example, who have experienced an abuse, like maybe you have. Or working with people, team building and physical discipline for that person that has been um, involved in sports and can speak to things like leadership and teach leadership and how to come alongside another person in particular ways that they've been trained to do, you know. Not that that training originally intended that it be used for God, but that you allow that to be redeemed as well, and that you use it for its good purpose that is right and pure and admirable. The events that we've experienced and taken place and have affected us, whether those things have been positive or negative, we can't let those rule us anymore but instead use them for God's glory. We gotta 
take those events and bring them back to God, to put them through the gamut of our renewed mind in Christ, right? To see what we're called to, so we can bring it back into the community to seek and save the lost. But first, those things also come into the body of Christ, because that's who we are called to be a part of first. Uh, The body also has an important role in finding your calling, okay? We are a part of it, and it is a part of us. So, it is the venue through which our calling is sort of worked out, just naturally. Um, It's our family. People call it a church family. I like to just call it family. There's a relationship there. It works in tandem with our calling. For example, a hand by itself is confusing to know its purpose. Like, what's that show where there's just the hand, like Adam's family or something, or it's just a hand like walks around? If you just saw, if you'd never seen a hand before and you just saw a hand laying there, you'd be like, oh, that's weird. I wonder what the purpose of that is, you know? It's like this thing, like maybe it, maybe it's like a Venus flytrap where it like waits for an animal to come along and then it like grabs it, you know? You don't really know what the thing does, but being in a body allows you to compare and contrast, just as one example, you know? You can see, oh, that's what that person looks like. They're supposed to be a hand. I have a similarity to them, or maybe I'm opposite them, or so on and so forth. You can take hints through that. Um, A hand by itself is confusing, but in context, for example, of having a brain and eyes and legs, you get to see a better purpose of what that hand contributes to the rest of the body. The hand, you know, works on the details. For example, you have like fine motor skills, you know, that you can do with the hands that no other part of the body can really do. But the hand is not going to be very much use without some legs to do the the actual movement, you know? People are few and far between that can walk on their hands, and when they do, it's not terribly effective, you know? It's like you need legs to get from one place to another, and then the hands to do the fine motor skills, like, of it. And that translates to callings, too, you know? It's like a calling, one person may not um, understand the the place of that without um, seeing another person that's like that, or something different, or filling in the gaps, and so on and so forth, recognizing a need. Okay. Most importantly, though, whatever it is, you need to talk about it with the body. We are personal people in relationship with each other, and it's hard to figure those things out when you're in your own head about that, about your calling, trying to figure out what it is that needs to be done, who God wants you to be for his purpose as the environment's changing around us, you know? So, one of the things that we can do for that is mirror with people, you know, use people as a reflection, um, as comparison, but also directly communicating, you know, inquiring about yourself, getting feedback, Use others to see things about yourself which you don't see or haven't identified yet. We simply, as people, don't understand ourselves as much as we would really like to. You know, as much as we think we know ourselves, um, you talk to somebody smart and be vulnerable about things and you start to find things out about yourself. You know, little things that people notice that you don't. Um, Yeah. And so if we can't even understand ourselves in its entirety without the help of other people, how much less do we understand God's will for us? You know? Just God is really, really large, and his plan is very encompassing, and we really need help in that. And that's some of the examples that we see in Scripture um, show us of those things. Even the best of us can use help understanding ourselves and talking about God's will, trying to figure out what it is that we're supposed to do. That's one of the things why I really appreciate the format of eldership in terms of leading a church. It's an incredible burden for a single pastor 
to lead a church spiritually like that. The whole eldership thing really helps out with this, of getting together with, uh, you know, a group of people and discerning, you know, praying about it. What is God's will for us in this? What is the direction that we should go? Who are we? You know, what is our identity and calling? In uh, Acts chapter 16, we see Paul in a situation kind of like this. Paul and some friends. So, they went, in verse 4 of chapter 16, Acts. They went, uh, then they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there, pleading with him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. This is Paul and Silas and Timothy. They were being productive and growing churches by the day in this particular area. And then they, A, decided that their calling was different, even though they were being good and productive in that area, and so that they were called to move on from there. But they were denied one place, they were denied another place, and as they're participating together, they're like, okay, God doesn't want us to go there, God doesn't want to go us to there. Working together on those things. Um, yeah. Then Paul had a vision. It's not a direct and clear message from God like he experienced, you know, in his conversion or like some other people have experienced, but it was a vision. A vision, by definition, needs interpretation in that, even. And he says they concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. So, in other words, he discussed it with them. They were discerning together as a group, and they made a conclusion about what God's will was for them based on something that God was doing, that God presented to them. So, he wasn't doing that alone. He used the people around him that he was in ministry with, that was part of his body, to figure out what it was that God's will was for them to do. After they had been denied this place, denied that place, and they're like, okay, is this really where we're supposed to be going? I just had this dream, you know? Is this from God? And they concluded that it was. So, what's happening in your life? Are you writing it off as happenstance? Or is that something that you're viewing as something that God did put there and trying to figure out what that might mean for you and what he wants you to do? Are you considering that it's an intentful element that's been introduced into your life? Are you discussing your life with other believers as a result of those things? You know, talking about those current events, where you're at, where other people are at. Or are you trying to be the sole interpreter of those things? If we use other people... That's how we can better determine the will of God for us in our lives when we're trying to figure out our calling, our vocation, our purpose in that. As we alluded to earlier with the hand part analogy, it's, used to, it's useful to be able to compare and contrast uh, other people's purposes and stuff in that, trying to figure out what the picture is there. Now, uh, talking about the hand and body part, obviously that's part of the spiritual gifts analogy, right? And spiritual gifts are another huge purpose in terms of figuring out our calling, in terms of factoring that in. So, who we are as people in our, in our gifts and as part of our nature like that should be a significant part of how we're figuring out our calling. It's like the calling is what you're doing and the spiritual gifts are who you are as the nature of your person, right? So, it's closely tied with our God-given calling. Uh, as you can see in a couple passages, like from 1 Peter chapter 4, 
God has given each of you a gift from his variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself was speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? And do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. And then everything you will do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Peter says, are you driven or do you have a skill? You're called to put God at the center of it and use it. Redeem that for his purpose. Um, for example, Josh Sturgis this morning, you know, taking initiative, he showed up, he's, he has taken it upon himself to rekey like every lock in the church, something that is notorious for being chaotic and crazy, you know, but he has a certain talent and skill set and motivation set on him that this is something good and right and pure that he should do. It's not even something that you would consider to be um, an urgent need, you know? It's not something that's life or death, but it's something that is just purely positive. And that's kind of a beautiful thing to take initiative on something like that, to be called to do something like that, that is pure benefit, not a reaction to a trauma or something like that, although those things are necessary and good to react to, obviously, to respond to trauma, but doing something for the sake of the good of it and using what God has given you as your skill set, as your motivation, as your talent, to be able to put God at the center, center of that and use that. <clears throat> Dorothy Savers writes, it a Christian's work is not a specific type of occupation, but rather an attitude that sees work as not primarily as a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. Work is, or it should be, the full expression of the worker's gifts, the thing in which he finds spiritual, mental, and bodily satisfaction in the medium in which he offers himself to God. That's what our gifts and calling should be, the medium in which we offer ourselves to God to do those positive services, and that looks like work. Do you come to the table with skills or talents, or do you have an undeveloped skill that you feel like you're called to as a way to serve, to offer yourself to God, as Dorothy put it? Romans chapter 12 speaks more about spiritual gifts. Verse 6, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, then serve them well. If you're a teacher, then teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. And if it is giving, then give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, then you should take that responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, Show it gladly. Half of those things are supposed to be qualities of every believer, right? Serving, giving, showing kindness. Each believer is supposed to do that. Yet they're presented here as gifts. Certain people are elected to be excellent in these things. And that's a huge factor in calling, to be extra motivated or extra good at something like that. It's not a special calling necessarily, but it's an amplified uh, trait or skill. The other gifts are of the same nature, but they're not necessarily applicable to everyone. Prophecy and teaching and leadership. But all those things are the same thing. Like if you have an amplified ability to do those things, then that's a huge indication of your calling and you should take that seriously and act on that. Talk to other people about those things like we talked about. Where is my place? What are the needs of the body, of the community? Um, yeah, so if you show an inclination in those things and skill or motivation, see if somebody else sees it too. You know, mirror it, bounce that off the body. See what sort of perspectives other people have on that. And take it seriously. Um, test it out even. Step out and do something with it. See if it resonates with you, right? Step up and volunteer even if that means that you have to displace another job, you know, communicate that. Hey, I feel like I might be called to this. 
but my plate's super full. Is anybody able to take this off my plate? Or maybe I can switch it out with somebody that's already doing something like that. You know, Communicate with the body. Be an organism like we're supposed to be. And figure out what God's place is. What, your, what God's place for you is. Because in that process, the whole body benefits and Christ is glorified. And all of those things is what we're looking for. But we need to operate as an organism in that. Even in our individual callings. It's not just your business. And involve God in that discussion, right? Involve God in your discussion with that. In prayer, in talking logically and rationally through things. In all ways, put your calling or your guess of your calling or a new calling, potentially, through the gamut. So we want to have an idea of the qualifications, like what does a calling need to be? Well, it's got to benefit others, right? There's no such thing as a calling that isolates you, that under the guise of piety, of godliness, or whatever, working on yourself, um, a calling isolates you and makes you operate as as just a single person where you're not in relationship or community or service to other people with that calling. There's no such thing as a calling that only involves one person. This is where, for example... Um, or there's no um, yeah, benefit looking to help other people. This is one of the things where it's pointed out where monasteries sort of failed. They did all sorts of good things, but the calling was ultimately self-focused, that a person wanted to work on themselves, and so they went into this um, remote place of isolation, and it didn't really do what we're called to do as believers, as to make disciples of other people and spread the gospel, and so on and so forth. It was a disciplined life, and it was good in many ways, but it didn't do well in terms of the isolation of it. As Martin Luther so eloquently put it, God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. When you're putting a possible calling through the ringer, it doesn't say uh, stay in your own personal jurisdiction and responsibility, right? Even though it is your calling, you are not um, owned just by yourself. Just as a husband owns the wife and the wife owns the husband and submit to each other in that, so we do in an organism of the body of Christ. So, talk to the body of believers. Talk to God. Don't just uh, pray for answers of confirmation even, you know, like, oh God, show me, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life, I need answers here. But pray that God closes the wrong doors, too. You know, run at something without fear of that, and pray that it resonates, and that it is your calling, but also pray that if it's not your calling, that it makes, that God makes that obvious, too. Pray for the negative side of things, and close out those wrong options. Test it by a trial by fire. Does your possible calling stand up to the filters of scripture as you're looking to see who you're meant to be? Does it glorify God? Does it point to Jesus Christ and glorify him and the gospel message about him? Does it involve being a part of the local church, the local body? Does it build up that body? Will it yield the fruit of the spirit? Will that calling have love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, you know? Is it going to yield those things as a fruit as you work through that calling? And is it confirmed? Is it confirmed as a calling with the body that you're called to? For example, when Adam and I were just appointed as pastors the other day, um, you guys were asked to confirm our calling, right? That was a part of that process. That is a good and right thing to do, to involve the body in that. Why is that not true of other callings, of the individual within the body? There's no difference in the nature between the calling to be a pastor or a deacon or whatever direct ministry um, position, and being a calling to, you know, be a locksmith, or a carpenter, or 
a IRS government worker or whatever else it is that you're going to do, you know, taking care of the old folks, taking care of children, teaching. Like there's no difference. The, all those callings are from God by their nature. So why not look for confirmation from other people in the body in those things? That is the right and mature thing to do as a part of the organism of the body of Christ. And maybe it's helpful, too, as you're trying to figure that out, not just to look for a calling to be confirmed or denied, but the elements of that calling, you know? See, look for confirmation. Do I have this gift? What about these desires that I have? Does that hold up to the standards of Scripture as being spiritually driven and not self-driven, you know, in terms of your desires and motivations? What about your skills or compassions, you know, those things that you're passionate and compassionate about. Do those things hold up to being a renewed compassion and not something that is driven by your old nature? So, therefore, can be used to glean a better idea of what it is, those things that you may be called to. From large to small scale callings, vocations, purposes, um, yeah, they all don't belong to you only. They belong to the organism of the body of Christ. They belong to God. So don't be possessive of those things. Share that burden of figuring those things out and involve other people. Is probably the best advice to figuring that out. <clears throat> so like the call of salvation, our secondary callings, those things that we've been talking about uh, happen from outside, you know, from those who are following God and sharing the gospel alongside you. Those callings can be figured out with those people and even asked of you from those people directly. And those callings happen from the inside, from the Holy Spirit working on you to redeem you, to bring you into his future glory in that process of sanctification that we each are going through since we've been redeemed from Christ. We are looking to identify all those things. We're identifying a calling by looking to God himself through prayer and scripture, obedience and transformation of ourselves to purify those motives and goals and all of those things, those desires to do what's good and true and pure we are need to identify them with help from the people that God put around us. Identify them by seeking to understand how God made us uniquely through our spiritual gifts and things of that nature. What comes to your renewed mind and your renewed heart when you think about what will bring glory to God? What can you do what are you specifically set up to do well that would bring glory to God, that would point to Jesus Christ, that would build up the body? What would be able to do those things? How are your skills and talents, how can those be used for the body's benefit, for Christ's glory in those things? What is your vision for that? What is your calling in those things? Does your calling have a place in those things? as we seek to constantly be on top of that, of what God wants us to do with the life that he's given us. So, you know, God called the light day and the darkness night in chapter 1 of Genesis. He called those things. That's the same word. It sounds like something different, but he summoned it. He invited it. He called for the dark and the light. He commissioned those things. Like, all these things belong in that word. He chose those things. He chose to call the light day and the darkness night. He chose those things. In the same way, to call us to a particular duty as a role or whatever, he names that. To, for us to name it, we call it by a name and identify it. We give it power. We give it understanding. We give it organization, the role of which things are relating to each other. It's something that's really important for us to do. Those things already existed 
You know, God planned those from the beginning for us to do, just as he made the day and the night, and then he called them what they were. But naming something gives it intent and power. Naming our callings give those intent and power through Christ, through our Creator, through the help of the Holy Spirit. It commissions us for a purpose once we identify and name those things. It's not so much a question of what we do at some point, but where, even, and we'll get into that. But Jesus sent his apostles to Jerusalem, and then to Judea, and then to Samaria, right? He started with them at home, and then pushed them out a little bit further, and then to a people, the Samaritans, that they traditionally hated, you know? He called them to be a certain way, and to do it here, and to do it there, and to do it there. In the same way, there's a lot of similarities between a lot of callings, but where is that happening? You know, where are you called to do that? So, there's a lot of work to do in terms of figuring all that out. The scope is broad, but let's figure out and discuss today's topics. So, how do you separate self-interest from spiritual drive? How do you guys do that personally? How do you separate your self-interest from spiritual drive? Do you do that as an internal process, you know? We all have a lot of convoluting messages going on, you know, especially when we're tired or hungry and all those things. But how do you separate self-interest from spiritual drive and your vision for what you're supposed to do? How are you at mirroring with the members of the body of Christ? When's the last time you asked for someone's perception or opinion of some aspect of you, for example? You know, when's the last time you invited that onto yourself? And then, lastly, for your current callings or things that you're considering as part of your calling, how do they stand up to the qualifications that we see in Scripture? Are you pursuing those callings for you, or are you pursuing those callings for others, and for Christ. Okay, 